Romans 12 and verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil, cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it's truth that we can hold in our hands. I thank you that we've always found it to be true. We've always found it to be faithful. We've always found it to be encouraging. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that it's you that makes it alive. And it makes it alive to the hearts of each and every one that are under the hearing of it this morning. I thank you that you meet us exactly where you said you would. In, in the reading, in the proclaiming, in the study of your word. And I thank you that you encourage us today as each one has need in Jesus name. Amen. So we began our year. Of course, now we're getting close to the end of February. And looking forward to, if not next week, the following week, starting a new series. that's going to be fun. Uh, and a little intimidating for me, if I'm being honest. And I'll share more about that with you as we get closer. But we started off the year with a few words. Remember, we read about Paul in Philippians saying, I, I've considered some things, and that's caused me to order things in my life. And then now my aim has been set, and I'm pursuing after it. We talked about the importance of having an aim and the danger of being aimless. Aimlessness is akin to lifelessness, right? To not have an aim. And I told you the story and I won't go, you know, spend a lot of time on it. But when my grandfather first let me shoot a shotgun, first time I shot any gun like that. And, he, you know, he's showing me how to hold it. And he, he, he just points me off into the, Now, just to show you the difference in times, he just pulled up on the side of the road in uh, a back road in Bearden and like, just pointed out there. Maybe not. Maybe he knew where we were. That's hopefully the safest thing. Uh, but he said, all right, here, you got this. Here's this. It's, it's loaded. All right, now, rock and fire. Let's go. And I pulled the trigger and he said, did you hit it? And I said, hit what? He said, well, boy, weren't you aiming at anything? You just you just shot it off into the way. It's like, yeah, I just I didn't know what else to do. You didn't tell me we were aiming at something. But I had had a big explosion of energy. But I wasn't aiming at anything. 
And, and we want to be so mindful of that in our days and in our life that we're not just taking this energy, this life that God has given us and just blasting it out there just aimlessly or without uh, purpose or thought and get to the end of the day and feel like we didn't get anything done. Get to the end of the day and feel like I felt like I was real busy, but there wasn't any life in what I was doing. And that's why it's so important that we have that set out in front of us. What, what, what is my aim? What do I hope to accomplish? What do I want to be different in this day because I lived in it? What do I want to be different about this year? Because I'm going to put out a lot of energy. I'm going to pull this trigger 365 times this year. What do I want to hit and accomplish in doing that. And so I was thinking on what is the aim of our Christian life? And there's an old catechism. It was, you know, systems for helping people learn and understand the faith and, and remember it. And, and the, the question and answer, because that's how they were set up. The question was, what is the chief end of man or what is our goal? What is our aim? And the answer uh, that they gave and that and again, this old catechism was that the end uh, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The chief end of man is to, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You say, was well, that a scripture? No, but it's based in scripture. And we can see that in scripture. The, the end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's a simple answer uh, or simple statement and a more complex answer. And we've been seeing a little bit of that the last few weeks as we've been talking first in John 4 when Jesus said an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the father wants such people to worship him. Or yours may say is seeking such people to worship him. What better aim could we have than to be one of those people? Amen. That's a good aim to have to be one of the worshipers who are worshiping him in spirit and in truth. And, and all this came out of the question of, well, what does that what does that mean when he says it? What does it mean? And we've talked through it and I won't I won't dredge it all back up because we don't have enough time. But to worship mean, means to, to kiss towards right to puppy to I'm so excited that you're here. Right. Some, some, some define it as the thank you that can't be silenced and to worship him in spirit because he is spirit, meaning what he's everywhere. So we worship him everywhere that we go. And in truth, or as he has made himself known by the truth, he has made known to us. And then we went to Romans chapter 12 and we said, now this has something to do with it. The language here is similar and it shows us a little bit more about what that involves. And he said at the beginning of Romans 12, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, because he's been so merciful to us, I urge you to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. The CSB translates it that way. He says, and don't be conformed to this age or to the world the way that they do things, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern or know what is the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. And then verses three through eight, he talks about how not only we as individuals present our bodies a living sacrifice, but we are part of the body of Christ. You know, different members, one body, different gifts, same God by the grace that has been given to us. He walks through that 
that, that we don't do life alone. We're called to do it as a part of the body. I, I shared with the, the group this morning. I read just this week in First Peter 410. He, he said, just as each one of you has received a gift, gift of grace from God, as each one of you have received a gift, use that gift to serve others as stewards of the varied grace of God or the manifold, the, the, the different dispensations of the grace of God across all of us. Use it as a good steward of that grace to serve others. And so today, part of what I want to share with you as we finish this is that our worship is also our witness our worship is part of everything that we do. We've established that, right? Worship is more than singing. It is singing. And it's more than singing, just like the one song we sang, let my life be worship to you. Our worship is also our witness. Whether you realize it or not, every human being is a witness for something. You are a witness or a, or a teller of the truth about something. And, and, and we'll get to that but we see as he continues, he's like, with all this in mind, everything that we've said in mind in verses 9 through 21, which we covered half of it last week. He said, with all this in mind, walk like this in life. Live your life like this. My Bible has the little heading there as Christian ethics, ethic being a way of life. He's framing it out for us. Saying, if I'm going to have y'all walking in Christ and especially all doing it together, all different and diverse with different gifts, ministering in different ways, I have to frame that up to make it strong and safe. Amen. When, when we have, you know, a fire in a fireplace is good and it's a blessing. A fire on the kitchen table, not so much. Right. Still fire. But, but what? It, it's outside of the bounds of where it should be. It's, it's not contained in a safe and productive way. And so he gives us some framing up of these powerful things so that when we walk in them, we don't hurt ourselves or hurt each other. He goes through for the family of Christ, how we live and walk together and then also how we live and walk with those who are out Side. And again, the heading here for mine says Christian ethics. And I wrote out beside that, don't expect to get this from the world. Because you're not going to find it in the world. So when you read some of these things, don't expect to see it from those who are worldly because this is a Christian ethic. This is something that's going to come from him. Now, we should expect it in ourselves and we should encourage it in others. Right. Because in view of the mercies of God, we present our bodies a living sacrifice, laying down our will for his will. So that uh, we can be considered amongst those true worshipers. And it may feel a little bit contrary to our nature as he's changing us. Amen. So picking up this week without further, further ado. Verse 14. And 15, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. When he says bless those who persecute you, persecute, we know what that means. But he says bless and do not curse. What he's saying there is like the, the word curse would be to ask God to kill him. God, just kill him. Can't you kill him? Will you let me kill him? 
please kill them, right? Committing them to death, those that persecute you. What does he say? He said, bless and do not curse. Why? Because number one, you don't have the ability, thankfully, to take someone's life from them as it's been given to you by God. You don't. Because if we did, how often would it happen? It would happen a bunch, right? Cut me off in traffic. Mm, gone. Ugly to my kid, double gone. <laughs> right? We would just use it in a way that would be. So he says, bless, speak life and not death. And then later on, he'll say, let God sort out the difference. But he's saying, speak life. Why? Because we know as a Christian, even our worst enemy can become our brother and sister in Christ. Even our worst enemy, the worst person we've ever met, could become our brother and sister in Christ. And that just reminds us of the extent and the magnitude and the power of the grace of God. We saw it in, we've been going through the book of Acts. We were just talking about this last Wednesday night as the apostle Paul was testifying and saying, this is who I used to be. I used to go in people's houses and drag them out because they believed in Jesus. When they were killed in the streets, I stood there and was approving of their execution. And then what happened? He got converted. He got changed. And then he was later welcomed into heaven by the ones that he had sent there as an executioner. Even your worst enemy can become your brother and sister in Christ. And that can be, you you kind of felt that, right? Because some of y'all thought of somebody right then. And, And that can be an offense to us like, God, really? God, really? Yes. Yes. His grace is that powerful that it can transform even the darkest heart, even the worst history. He can change it. And that's why he's saying, don't speak death over somebody that I may have you walking with next year. Come on. Y'all might not be ready for that. He says, don't curse those who persecute you. Bless them and speak life. And he also says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live with harmony, live in harmony together with one another. See, we're able to rejoice with others, with the good that happened for them, even if it didn't happen for us. Even if it didn't simultaneously, even if it's not simultaneously happening to me, I can rejoice in someone else having victory when I'm still striving. I can rejoice with someone else having breakthrough when I'm still believing. Amen. Because I've been validated and content in Christ. I can celebrate their victory and be there with them. Because in gladness, I identify with them together in Christ. Remember, we're a body. So if part of my body is doing really well, the other parts of my body can celebrate that. And in the same way, we weep with those who weep. I identify with them. When one part of the body hurts, the other parts, I won't say hurt also, but respond, don't they? They respond. Have you ever stubbed your toe? Your toe's not the only thing. What what happens? You stub your toe and your leg lifts it up. Your hand starts reaching for it. 
For some reason, your eyes close. Your mouth is saying something, right? It's getting involved. Now, we have to watch that. We have to watch maybe what it's saying. But, but you just see, even in that, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, we all care about what's going on right here. We, we, we're, we're so woven together that when you're hurting, I'm feeling it and I'm moving in with compassion to help bring healing and restoration. Amen. Amen. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And again, it reminds me that it's not just about me. I'm not just a lone wolf free agent, you know, going through this life. Doesn't matter what's going on with him. I'm just mainly trying to maintain what's going on with me. Uh -uh. He's saying I've woven you together as the body of Christ. And I want you to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep because you're going to have both of them walking with you simultaneously. It uses this word harmony. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony together with one another. And I got stuck on that one for just a little bit. Because what is harmony? It's different notes, different notes played simultaneously or sung simultaneously. That even though they're different, Complement each other. And it's really pleasant to listen to, isn't it? When you hear a few people, you know, the old barbershop quartets, when you would hear four people striking a heart, you know, you got the bass and the alto and the soprano and the other one. I don't know them. But I know when I hear, I don't know anything about music. I don't know anything about notes. I don't know anything about what levels your voice is supposed to be. But here's what I do know. When I hear it in harmony, my ear goes, oh, that's nice. That's pleasant to listen to. That's beautiful, isn't it? Just the different voices in their own spot, but together in harmony is beautiful. I love it that he used that word because it flows together, but then it's also pleasant and beautiful as he's mixing that sound together. It's pleasant to our ears. And he's saying that that's how we should live with one another in harmony. The notes are a little bit different. They're not going to be the same. When you have everybody singing on the same note, it doesn't sound very good. Right? It's kind of like, why do I need you singing that? He's singing that. You sing your part. Come on. In harmony together with one another, how beautiful it is. Verse 16, the latter part. Don't be proud. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. And remember, he told us that in verse 3 all the way back at the beginning of chapter 12. He said, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Think sensibly about yourself. Think sensibly about yourself, not more highly than you ought to. And ask yourself the question, how is it that you came to be here where you are in your life with Christ? How did you Get to where you are. Because how you answer that matters and will affect whether you walk through life 
proudly or with pride in yourself or humbly before the Lord. How did you get to where you are? Who did it? Who did it? You or him? And how we answer that question matters. Who did it? Me or him? Now listen, he involves us. Yes. Amen. I'm engaged. Yes. Amen. I'm active. Yes. Amen. Who got you to where you are? Who got you to where you are? Because if the answer is ever you, that you did it, it's going to result in pride. Well, I had the willpower and I just held on and, and I didn't quit. It's going to turn into pride. In your heart, it's going to turn into pride. If the answer is ever you to the question of how did you come to be here? Who did it? then it's going to result in pride. Well, I, but I made the right decisions. And who told you what right was? Well, well, but I, I held on and didn't quit. Who gave you the strength to hold on and not quit? But you don't understand. I, I saw the light. Who opened your eyes? Who opened your eyes so that you could see the light. And again, you're going to have to be active. You're going to have to be engaged. You are, you, he has made you an active participant in your sanctification, yes. But without him, it doesn't even get started. Because scripture says, what? That when we were dead. When we were dead. But you don't understand. Now that I'm alive, I've done this and this and this. But you were dead. And you didn't make yourself from dead to alive. You couldn't. That's why he came. So, yes, you've done a lot. Hey, keep on, keep on keeping on. But don't forget, you were dead. You were dead in your sins and trespasses. And he has made us alive in Christ Jesus. And and so what that does is it keeps me from being proud. Because I know that even though I've taken what he's given me and I've applied it like he's told me and I've seen the results that he said that I would, it all started with him. And then every step has been in him and built on what he did and not what I did. Because again, if it's ever me, if it's ever me, then I can be prideful. And that's why Paul said it when he when he wrote about it elsewhere. He says it's by faith so that it might be according to grace and it's not of works. Why? Otherwise, you'd have something to brag about. You'd have something that you could brag about. And he's saying we're not bragging about anything but Jesus and how good he is. He's like, don't be proud or prideful. Instead, associate with the humble because when I'm prideful, I can just be like you should just make better decisions. You should do like I did. Right. And then I'm discipling people to be like me instead of trying to get them to be like Jesus. I'm like, well, you should do it the way I did or the way this guy did it. Hold on. Let's make sure we're starting at the right spot. Because what he say? No foundation can anyone lay than that which has been laid, which is Jesus Christ. It's got to be on him. If the answer is ever me, then I'm I'm in pride and I need to repent.
And again, I can make good decisions. Who told me what good was and right was? And who made me alive on the inside to even want to do good and right? Amen. I, I, I lingered there a little long. He says, associate with the humble. Because again, what, what are our good decisions, our longevity, our win streaks without Jesus? We don't have them. They don't exist. I'm not proud in my heart, but I'm grateful for him because I was dead and needed to be made alive. I needed to be transformed and he's doing that. He's doing that. It's by his power that that's taking place. And scripture tells me when things start going good, that's when I need to be careful because that's when I can forget that he's the one that's been doing it. And when things get really good, I can, I can even say to myself, look at everything that I've done. He said, when you make it through the wilderness, when you get to the promised land, when your belly gets full, Deuteronomy chapter 8, he's like, be careful. Because that's the time that people forget God. He said, do not forget the Lord your God, the one that brought you out of Egypt, the one that brought you through the wilderness, the one that gives you the ability to be successful. Amen. He makes us look good, but it's for his glory. Verse 17. Do not. Oh, man. Y'all are going to wish I'd stop before I got to this one. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Again, that one's a little tough. No, don't, don't repay evil for evil. And I, as I was studying this one, the language of the way he said that was active. Meaning you're telling somebody to stop doing something that they're actively doing. Like you see a kid running by, you go, stop running. It's different than going when they're walking by like, hey, we don't run in here. You know, that's just one of the rules, don't run. It's they're actively doing it. You know, he's saying this is what your active instinct is going to be, is that when people do evil to you is to give them the same thing back. And he also says, uh, give careful thought to do what is honorable. Which tells me that we're not supposed to be uh, reactionary. We're not supposed to be brash and unpredictable. We're supposed to give careful thought to how we respond. We're supposed to be, as Scripture would say, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Right? He's saying give careful thought so that you do what is honorable. When we don't give careful thought, are we likely to do that? No, because what's our instinct? Evil for evil. You're ugly to me. It's time for me to be ugly back to you. Apparently that's how you want to handle things. Right? What's he saying? That's not the way that we need to be. It's not a to-do list. It's a to-be list. And thankfully, we, we, we can't be it without him. He can fund what he puts out in front of us. And then verse 18, just a daily reminder. And this is one that I've, I've had for a long time. If possible, as much and as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. Live at peace with everybody. And again, that's not saying, well, they threw the gloves down, so I'm throwing the gloves down too. They said, we're going to, I'm ready to go to work. No, what's it saying? As much as it depends on you, live at peace. There's some people you're not going to be able to live at peace with. You don't live with those people. 
You remove, you can remove yourself from that as much as possible, but as much as it depends on you, live at peace with every one, with all people. That's people on the inside. That's people on the outside. That's people that are like me. That's people that are different from me as much as it depends on you. Because again, it don't all depend on us. We can't control them. But what we should be able to do is control ourselves. Fruit of the Spirit, self-control. Self-control. That needs to be an aim of mine. We're talking about aim. Is that, hey, as much as it depends on me, I'm going to live at peace. I could, mm, peace instead. I'm going to choose peace instead. Why? Because he's taught me that it's better. He's taught me that it is better. And he says, verse 19, friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. Now, just real quick, when he was writing this, the people that he was writing it to were suffering things like the government arresting them for being Christians. They would be gone to meeting Worshiping the Lord and they would ransack their houses while they were gone and take everything out of it. So. Simple way of saying probably worse than what you're dealing with right now. And he's not saying, all right, now I know there comes a point that we're supposed to be loving. But there comes a point when tyranny, we just got to rise up. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, in light of all of this, don't avenge yourselves. Don't sit around plotting how you're going to revenge against all of this uh, bad that's been done against you. Why? Because that's going to result in unforgiveness in your heart, which is going to result in bitterness in your life, which is going to result in you being the one that's poisoned by it. He's saying, don't avenge yourselves. Instead, what? Trust God. That he's honest and trustworthy when he says what he says. He says, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay. We've talked about this and I'm not going to get too far into forgiveness today. But our problem, one of our problems with forgiving is we go, well, God, but what about what they did? What's going to happen? They just get to walk away. And forgiveness is not forsaking justice. He promises justice. Forgiveness isn't forsaking justice. It's just revoking my right to be the one to carry it out. It's revoking my thoughts of revenge. Because he will mess around and not do anything about what they did to us, but we'll sure sit and think about it. What we could do, what we want to do, what we'd like to do. We'll plan it out. Hey, the time is coming when I'm going to be, I'm going to reserve this. I'm going to hold this back and wait for my opportunity. When I have the ability, then I'm going to smash them. Then then they'll see. And, And he's saying that's unforgiveness in your heart. It's just going to eat you up. Unforgiveness is drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. We know that one. It doesn't make sense, but that's what we do. And he's saying, don't avenge yourself. Don't plot that in your heart. Instead, trust in the Lord and what he said that he would do. 
Trust in the Lord and what He said that He would do. I will repay. He said, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you'll be heaping fiery coals on his head. He's like, you still do what's right even when they're doing what's wrong. And let me sort out the rest. What better way to convert an enemy to a brother and sister than treating them in a way that they don't expect you to treat them? I knew y'all would be excited about that one. And then he, he finishes it there in verse 21. Don't be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Don't be conquered or overcome by evil, but conquer and overcome evil with good. When you're conquered by evil, when you turn to it for help. When you turn to it as your answer. You remember he said, don't repay anyone evil for evil. When you choose to do that, you've been conquered by evil. Because you've decided this is the best thing that I've got. Either consciously or unconsciously, you made the decision. This is the best thing that I've got available to me. Is to handle it like this. To take it into my own hands. I know what you said. Forgive, but this the smash like a bug. That seems like it's such a better idea. When we do that, we've been conquered by evil. But he says we can overcome, we can conquer evil with good. We don't have to turn to it for help. We don't have to turn to those old ways, those old attitudes, those old instincts of the flesh for help. And so you can see how all of this connects together in chapter 12. In view of the mercies of God, this is what the life of the believer is going to look like. As you present your body a living sacrifice. Are all of those things going to be easy? No, it's going to be a sacrifice. It's going to be a sacrifice to overcome evil with good. It's going to be a sacrifice to bless your enemy instead of cursing them. It's going to be a sacrifice to live at peace with all people as much as it depends on you. It's going to be a sacrifice. It's going to be worship. As our life is worship to Him... It's a sacrifice, you've heard, a sacrifice of praise. I'm laying my body down, my will down. All of those things I'd rather do in my own flight, I'd rather just handle it. I'm laying it down in worship to Him. And circling back to what I said at the beginning, our worship is also our witness. If our life is worship to Him, our, our, our life and our Worship is also our witness. I was thinking on this as, as far as what, what is the witness of Christ's church? What is the witness of Christ's church? And we're all witnesses. What is the best and true witness to the world that he is who he says that he is? I think part of it is that we are different. That we handle, th- that He makes us be set apart and unique. And the Bible uses the word holy, that we would be different than what they expect. Because again, we are all, every human being is a witness for something. Witness is what? Proclaiming the truth about a thing. Well, I don't do much proclaiming. You do more than you realize. 
because we're all witnesses, conscious or unconscious. We are witnessing to one another. And you think about how those who are, as the Bible uses the term, in the world are walking in according to the flesh, that they're children of disobedience, that they're children of wrath. They're walking in darkness. Their witness is what? This is the way that life is supposed to be. This is the way that you handle things. This is the way that life goes. These are your answers to your problems is to live like fill in the blank this This is how you handle anxiety like this. This is how you handle anger like this. This is how you handle the appetites of your flesh like this. With their life, they are witnessing to you that that is the way things should be. And what you'll notice is that you can be drawn to that. They're drawn to it. And then their life can draw you to it. Well, yeah, maybe maybe that is the way you handle it. Maybe that is the way you need to do this. Maybe that is the way you're supposed to handle your marriage. Maybe that is the way you're supposed to deal with your kids. Well, maybe this is the way. And you're just drawn to the way that they're doing things, especially if you're just out here floating. If you're not, if you're not grounded, if you're not already being drawn to something else, you'll be drawn that away. You'll see it. The, the more you're exposed to it, Again, if there's not a stronger force in your life, you can think of mag- magnetic stuff, maybe. You're going to be pulled the direction of the strongest draw, aren't you? So if, if you get out there in and just constantly washing your mind with the things of the world, you're going to begin to think, well, I guess that is how you handle that. Well, I guess that, has, that is how we should just handle sexuality. We should just do it like that. Why? Because you've been listening to a witness. You've been drawn towards something that they themselves are drawn off into. Again, Scripture calls it walking according to the flesh. It also talks about walking in the Spirit. It says when you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. When you walk in the Spirit, when you're drawn this way, you're not going to end up being drawn that way. Because they're... they're Opposite polarities, is that right? Polar opposites. When you're being drawn this way, you won't be drawn that way. Drawn to Him, His ways. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. When you, as you're being drawn towards Him, your life, your worship is a witness here. Where instead of being drawn that way, you're drawing them this way. Your life as a Christian, being different, being set apart, has a drawing effect. It's that magnetism from darkness to light. People are either moving towards God or away from God. There's nothing in between. There's no neutrality there. There's no in the middle. You're either moving towards God or you're moving away from Him. That's why we have to have an aim. So that we know where we're going. They said when, you, what, when you're navigating in the woods, what you set a point and you go, okay, that is north, that is north. I'm walking to that tree and I'm going to measure it out again. And I'm going to do it again. Why? Because if you don't have that aim, you'll think you're going a direction and really you're getting off. That's why it's so important that we have that 
aim because we're either moving towards God or we're moving away from Him. We're either walking in the light and reaching out to others or we're joining them. We're being drawn into the darkness as they walk in it. We'll walk in it the same way. And, you know, when we say that worship is our witness, one thing that is absolutely true, but it started to become a little cliche, which means that it started to lose its uh, power, is that, you know, you've heard of like, where, yeah, you'll be this way. And, and people at work, well, there's just something different about you. What is it? Right? And we've just heard it enough that it's cliche, and you're just like, oh, okay, this again. But it really is the truth. We can't let it lose its power just because people use it at the end of so many sermons. There should be something different about us in our life with Christ that it's noticeable to others. That they're drawn to it even if they don't realize what it is that they're being drawn to. Because here's the thing, they will want to see your difference before they'll want to listen to you share the gospel. They're going to want to see your difference first because that difference in that contrast between what they're seeing in your life and what they see in their life, that's, remember, who's that from? That's from Him. It's from Him and it shines. It's a light in the darkness and it's going to be noticeable because it's His grace and mercy at work. You read through the Gospels, you read through the book of Acts, you read through these uh, all these letters to the church. And I can't think of one off the top of my head. I'll be willing to accept, you know, your suggestion. I don't find in there where they're just being beat over with the head of, go out there and witness now. Go out there and share Jesus. Go out there and get it. Come on. We got to go out there and bring more people into the church at Antioch. We got to get them in here. Witness to them. Bring them in. They're not doing that. What are they doing? They're teaching them about Jesus and they're teaching them how to live. They're teaching them about Jesus. And they're teaching them, now in Jesus, here's how you live. Why? Because that is the light. That's the light. You don't have to just harangue. But again, you're going to need to know the gospel. You're going to need to be ready to share your faith. And you wait for that opportunity to pop up. But it's going to come about because your life is different. It's going to come about because your life is different. You can go out and, you know, you see, the, you know, judgment and fire and brimstone. Well, their own heart is telling them that. Our own hearts tell us that we're under judgment. That's the problem. They need the solution. They need the solution and they're going to want to see the difference in you before they're going to want to hear from you what you have to say. Your life is worship and your worship is a witness. It's standing there like light in the darkness and then somebody's going to ask. Somebody's going to say something. They're going to bring something up. And then that's when your heart, already having been prepared, understanding what the gospel is, understanding what the good news is, then you're ready. Then you're ready. That's why he started here. I'm going to teach you about Jesus. I'm going to teach you how to live. I'm going to teach you how to walk. And it's going to stand in stark contrast to the culture and to the world around you. And people are going to see it and they're going to want to know more about it. And again, it can become, it can become, even though it shouldn't, it can become cliche, but it's powerful. People are going to notice the difference in you. And they're going to want to know where it came from. Your worship, your life is your witness. Again, you have to, you're going to need to know the gospel. How else can you live it? 
And then you need to be sensitive to the Spirit as He leads you into those opportunities, as He leads those people around you to go, that heart window is open. Can I talk to you for a minute? This may not be what you're used to. Can I share something with you? And then watch what God will do. And then watch what He'll do. Our life in Him, our worship to Him, our witness of how good He is and how amazing His grace can be. Be ready. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that You do teach us about this new life that we have in Christ. You teach us how to frame it up. You answer the question very clearly for us, how should I walk in this life? And I thank you that we'll not be proud, but we'll be humble and we'll associate with the humble, knowing that it is from you that we have anything, that we made it to where we are. And Father, I do thank you that we'll be more conscious of our life as worship to you and as a witness to those who are walking in darkness. I thank you, Lord, that even this week, somebody's going to ask. Somebody's going to open the door. Somebody's going to give us opportunity to just share what you've done for us and in our life. That the difference that comes from following you is going to be noticeable. And I thank you, Lord, it's also attractive. It's drawing others. Even even like a magnet, it's drawing others from where they are towards you. I thank you that that's the work of your Holy Spirit and we get to be involved in it. I thank you that you do the work with our witness in Jesus' name. Lord, as we get ready to go, I thank you that we go in peace and unity together with each other. Lord, we've got some traveling. Keep them safe. Bring them safely back to us. We've got some weak in their body this morning. Heal them and strengthen them in Jesus' name. Lord, we've got some that need direction. I thank you that when we seek you, we find you. And you tell us which way to go. Even if we're making a decision between two good and right things, I thank you that you settle in our hearts so that we know we're in your will. As we commit ourselves as a living sacrifice to you, being transformed by the renewing of our mind that we'll know your will and we'll know what you're doing. We know what you're working on. I thank you for that. I thank you that you strengthen us going into this week. You give us strength and peace and wisdom and favor. You know what we need. Give us our daily bread, Lord, because you are that good. You are our good shepherd. We thank you. We thank you for the grace that is sufficient for us to walk out this path that you've put on out in front of us. Lord, as we set our aim to be closer to you this year, I thank you that you meet us there and you honor that and you help us and strengthen us in that. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.